you want uh, you a, a woman who is like sexually competent uh, but has never had sex before. Um, you know, you, she's got to be uh, not a slut, but somehow be like incredibly hot and skilled in the bed. Uh, like it, it's just they haven't thought it through. It seems. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N. Also, just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast on Apple to please leave us a five-star review that really helps us grow on the podcast and better share the information with our guests on the sex work community as a whole. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education, stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms. Their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It's free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel supported and encouraged instead of policed. Hi, and welcome back to the On the Horizon podcast. I am Lotus Lane, and I'm here with my co-host, Melrose Michaels. And we have a very special guest today, Valerie Weber, who is here to talk with us about the myth that porn equals more violence against women, and that watching and consuming it is what causes all of this violence out there. So let's get right into it. Valerie, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so my name is Valerie Weber, and I'm a researcher in sexuality and health studies. So um, I did my doctorate in um, occupational health in porn and now work on a whole bunch of different things um, related to occupational health and content moderation and sexuality in general. Um, so I've been thinking about these questions for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, I'm currently the board chair of PASS, which is uh, Performer Availability Screening Services, uh, which is a occupational health nonprofit for adult film. Um, and yeah, I was a webcam and porn performer for this it would be 20 years this year since I first got online naked. <laughs> I'm not doing much these days. I'm a little, uh, unfortunately, busy with the research stuff that I don't get to perform like I used to, but uh, a lot of time on many sides of the camera. I think that like one of the things even Lotus and I have spoken about is this kind of myth that goes around that consuming porn leads to more violence against women. That's like the baseline um, thought process. Anyhow, can you tell us a little bit about what the data actually says about that? Mm -hmm. Well, in a lot of ways, the data actually doesn't say very much at all <laughs> because there are so many problems with this body of, of research. Um, so we can look at the problems in a few different categories. First is like the type of studies themselves. So a lot of these studies are what we would call experimental studies, 
where you would go into a lab and be uh, instructed to watch a certain pornography uh, scene and then ask questions afterwards about, you know, your uh, the degree to which you agree with different rape myths or something like that. And so like that's very artificial. You're not picking the porn. You're answering the questions right afterwards. It's not a very good picture of like who you are as a whole person and what role pornography would play in any of those. So that's one kind of study. And then a lot of them are these kind of correlational studies. So where you look at one point in time, a few different factors and see, do they relate to one another? And so there um, you might look at what is the amount of pornography someone consumes and do they self-report committing acts of sexual violence or sexual objectification? And we'll get into the problem with the words afterwards because that's a whole yeah, other thing. Yeah. <laughs> and correlational studies are convenient. They're easy to do because it's short and sweet in a lot of ways, but it doesn't tell you anything about causation. Okay, well, do people who might express ideas that are considered sexually violent go for a certain kind of porn or a certain amount of porn or vice versa? You know, it, it doesn't account for chicken and egg, essentially. And then people will try to um, talk about bi-directionality, which I relate to, uh, <laughs> and talk about, okay, well, maybe it's... <laughs> Maybe it's maybe they influence one another, but there's got to be some kind of influence, which doesn't take into account that maybe there's a third completely unrelated thing that's actually causing both of those factors. So what we call a confounder. Um, I was just reading a study earlier today where they suggested that instead of it being about porn or about violence, it's actually entirely about what they called sex drive, you know, and that that's driving both of those. So what would be the most ideal scientifically would be what we'd call a longitudinal study where you would follow people over time, ideally, I guess, before they ever see a porn, right? And you would follow them through their entire wow. you know, life and see, okay, who, we've got a control group of people that never looked at porn and then a group of people that only looked at like softcore and then a group of people that looked at nothing but hardcore BDSM or whatever and see what happens over time. They tried to do one such control group once with people. They wanted a group of people who had never watched porn and they couldn't find <laughs> like, anyone. Find them? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so they were like, okay, we got to cancel the study. We have no control group, which is, you know, telling, right? They were talking only to cis men in that study. Um, and that's another thing is most of the studies are incredibly gendered and gendered and very like, stereotypical ways, but all to say that like the study design itself is not very ideal for actually figuring out um, if something is causing something else. Then when you look at the studies, the, the way they use their terms and the way they define their terms is really problematic because I just went on a long Twitter rant about the objectification terminology that's used in a lot of studies. And, and uh, they'll say, you know, oh, this we measured how much these people hold sexually objectifying ideas about women. And then you look at the actual questions they asked and it'll be something like, I prefer to date women who are interested in sex. It's like, is that, is that, a, yeah. is that bad? If yeah. you want to have sex, you want to date someone yeah. who also wants to have sex. That seems kind of ideal that you want to yeah. date someone yeah. who, wants to have wants sex. to have sex right or it'll be you know basically a lot of really um 
uh, a lot of assumptions get built into these that assumptions that women or femme people like don't want to have sex, don't like to have sex. Um, and therefore anything that they're engaging in or anytime people are thinking about them in a sexual way, that is like a default objectification. They also yeah. don't differentiate too often between like thoughts and actual actions. I saw one study where they were like, I like to, sometimes when I talk to a woman, I look at her breasts and that was equated with objectified. It's like, well, I might look at someone's breasts and treat yeah. them with respect, yeah. like a human who yeah. happens to have breasts, yeah. you know? And so there's a lot of pathologizing of like any, having any arousal or desire whatsoever, enjoying sex. And that gets equated with objectification and then objectification gets equated with violence. So it seems like, what's considered. Yeah. Sorry. sorry I don't, I don't need to interrupt, but it seems like so much of so the way society is set up and like established impacts the science, like the way they're trying to conduct these experiments. Yeah. yeah the more like the, the hard sciences, as we call them, like my backgrounds in anthropology and sexuality studies and queer theory, we're often called the soft sciences, the social sciences and criticized for not being rigorous enough. And it's not good science, but the hard sciences often fall to the mistake of not questioning their own frame of reference. Yeah. So yeah. sure, you're measuring, but you decide what you're measuring and you decide how you're measuring it. And that's yeah. deeply, deeply social and deeply, deeply um, invested in the status quo. Yeah, bias yeah, almost. Totally. Yeah. And deciding what yeah. the measurements mean, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I was wondering how could that actually be done a study like that? But you're right. They don't know how violent a person was prior to viewing porn. And they don't know, even if they were to do the kind of study that you describe as ideal, they don't know along the way in a person's life and interactions and experiences, if any of those triggers could have been the thing that made them more violent and not the fact that they do or don't watch porn. Totally. And there is like one theory that's, I think they call it the confluence model, where that's the argument is that violent porn makes people who are predisposed to violence. Uh, I, I, I realize the people listening don't see how many air quotes I'm using. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not watching this, like almost any word that sounds like it could have air quotes, assume it does. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're definitely there. <laughs> right. So yeah, that idea that maybe in the average, uh, uh, person, the average, uh, you know, emotionally balanced uh, human uh, watching porn won't have any effect, but that if there's these predisposed, which already is like, that's complicated language and complicated theories, but that in those people, maybe this will trigger or normalize or offset or encourage violent behavior. But again, yeah, you're right. Like how many factors in a person's life would you have to really take into account to be able to, to tease out what one thing uh, quote unquote, caused them to, to do what they do. You know, it's, right? That's interesting too, because I've had this conversation with other people. Someone was, um, I guess, I don't want us to frame the conversation poorly, but the, I guess, gist of it was that their idea of women, women specifically in porn, when people who identify as women in porn, all have this background of either being like raped or assaulted or daddy yeah. issues. And they all kind of put them all in this messy ball and threw it at me. And I was like, well, if that, you got to understand that, like, I don't personally know someone who identifies as a woman and hasn't had some kind of sexual assault. So <laughs> right. how can you differentiate between the work we've chosen to do and the reality that we just live in? And, right. and how can you not take that into account? 
Yeah, that like damaged goods hypothesis yeah. of that no one's asking people in other fields that are dominated by women and femme people, right? Exactly. Um, there was one study, I can't remember the details, so I, I don't want to say if it was a good study or not, but I think that they asked uh, sex workers and nurses and found pretty much the same rates of this, all of the kind of historical things that people, you know, um, would ask about someone's background. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, you get the answers to the questions you ask. So if you don't ask, you know, grade school teachers, if they, you know, were assaulted by their family growing up, or right. if, you know, then you're never going to have that comparison. Yeah. 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 That's so true. I, I felt I've always felt the same way. Like they don't ask doctors and lawyers and astronauts were you assaulted or did you experience any kind of trauma growing up in order to get to where you're at? Um, but that is always one of the first questions for people in our in our industry is like we must have had something that like turned us right mm -hmm. into what we are. Whoever now. would yeah. choose this. And yeah. like that assumption that people what people can and can't consent to or want to do. Right. I mean, that feeds into a lot of these studies too, because a lot of the, the activities that if there's a study on whether or not porn is violent, there's been many who look at like, is the porn content violent? How much of the most viewed porn uh, contains sexual violence? And then they'll go through and, you know, do these uh, content analyses of like the top page on Pornhub or whatever, which already like maybe their, their sampling might not be Best, right? Who knows? Right. Just because something's the most popular, does that it mean it's the what yeah. everyone it's is actually the most with. enjoyed? Yeah. 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 And so they'll do things like look at is there spanking? Is there slapping? Is there hair pulling? Is there choking? Is there, you know, da 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 down the list without really, well, one, asking is it done consensually? Is it done showing that there's sometimes they'll try to say, like, oh, does the do the performers show pleasure or not in what they're doing? And like, admittedly, it's hard yeah. to yeah. to measure those things, but also that, you know, something just looking violent to one set of eyes right. is not how everyone experiences it. A lot of us like to get spanked. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, You're yeah. going through that yeah. list. I'm like, I have a very violent sex I'm life. Like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was just like, just like uh, check, so when does the violence come in? Because. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like taking these these sex acts completely out of context and just deciding that they're inherently violent or degrading. I, I love when they use this word degrading as if right. everyone's degraded by the same thing. And it's like, if you're not into it, that's fine. But like, don't tell me how it feels. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some people it doesn't have inherent value. It's individual. And I don't like how those arguments that that come out of these kinds of like bias studies assume that the population all thinks the same and all feels the same kind of reaction um, towards what's violent or what's not. Um, yeah. Is there any kind of research that you've come across or, or done that has asked of women? You know, I, I know that there's studies done with men, but has, have there been with women and violence? What's interesting is there was actually a study that just came out, um, a couple of months ago, that's uh, the um, researchers, I'm not sure how to pronounce their name, Aaron, it looks like E-R-A-N Shore, um, S-H-O-R, who uh, asked a group of, of men and women uh, what kind of porn they like to watch and, and specifically asked, like, do you ever get aroused by porn that has like these, you know, violent 
again, along the same kind of using the same sort of uh, definition of violence, but like, do you like porn that has this kind of um, domination and, and so on and found that um, it was the, the women in the study that were the most interested in watching more violent and aggressive porn, uh, watched it more frequently, were more aroused by it. And I was like, yeah, like it doesn't surprise yeah. me, <laughs> but it, it surprised a lot of people, I think <laughs> that, you know, uh, most of the men were quite uncomfortable, talked about like, maybe I, I like it a little bit, but, but everyone did talk about having shame afterwards oh, because mm. they know that they're, they would be um, viewed poorly for enjoying those things, yeah. you know? So that was uh, an interesting, interesting finding. Yeah. But yeah, the, the bulk of aggressive porn is not enjoyed by, by men, but, but by, and this study again, it only looked, talked to men and women and, and there wasn't much um, exploration of gender beyond that, that binary, but it was telling because that's usually the binary that like, that's the thing too, is when people are doing research on, on porn, it's in such a completely heterosexual framework, right? You know, only looking at male performers, uh, being quote unquote violent to female performers right. and only being viewed by heterosexual men. And that's like right. kind of as if that's the entirety of the porno sphere. Yeah. That's, that's and, what it sounds like from the research studies that you're talking about. Like they're only talking about heterosexual sex being viewed by cisgendered men. And I mean, it doesn't seem to account for the fact that there exists like dominatrix porn where like the woman is in charge doing very violent acts to submissive men i mean yeah it, it just seems like like these research researches or whatever these inquiries are done <laughs> solely for the fact to prove their already like preconceived thought that cis men watching other cis men in porn be violent towards women is what causes violence towards women in the outside world. Really not even considering the fact that we women like it more. So why aren't we out there like committing all these violent acts against men out in the streets? Because now we've seen a dominatrix step on somebody's nuts, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if only that were the world. We oh, right. In, you know? <laughs> if only it were that simple to step on someone's yeah. nuts. Yeah. You know? I'd be on a rampage <laughs> in my right day now. to day life. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there have been actually some studies that have looked at um, and found that people who watch men that watch more porn actually hold more like gender equity opinions and views. And where and that one they were looking at a, a giant survey. So the people were just answering this like survey that covered all kinds of things. So they didn't even know that they were that data was gonna get used for a, a study on porn, so you don't have any of the concerns about the bias that you have going into a study on, on porn. And yeah, they looked at, you know, the more porn people watched, the more likely they were. I mean, again, it only used like three questions to determine if someone had quote unquote gender egalitarian views. And it was like, do you think women should be able to get abortions, run for office and like have a job or something yeah. like, like it may, maybe the bar wasn't too, high, <laughs> but still like all the more telling, right. That yeah. it seemed like, yeah, that there was um, maybe a correlation in the opposite yeah. direction. Yeah, so something you said that stood out to you, and this is like kind of going with what Lotus mentioned, that like that there's not all this violence, that women aren't out there creating all this violence because of the porn we might be enjoying. But the other, the other thing that stood out is that 
the people in that study you mentioned, Valerie, that had shame about watching more aggressive, quote unquote, violent porn, if if those people were going to go act out those acts or thought that that was normalized now, I don't think they would feel the shame around it. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's good reason to believe that the shame around it, if anything, is what would lead to people having a, a sexual ethic that doesn't take full consent and and uh, communication into into consideration yeah. right like I, I think we talk too much about just consent as if it's that's the the start and the end of it but like i think about how do how do we teach people to cultivate a good sexual ethic mm. and part of that includes like dealing with one's own shame or uh you know considering why we might have certain feelings about the type of arousal that we have and how to make sure that we can like think through that critically in a way and, and pull it apart so that those shameful feelings um, or those, that sense of, of uh, entitlement or whatever it is, like these kinds of um, really, I, let's say like non, I don't want to say non-logical feelings. So I feel like that's <laughs> gets a little, that gets a little weird, but like, yeah, just to be able to think critically about your own experience of your arousal and why, why you enjoy the things you do um, so that you can like go into your sexual encounters con conscientious yeah. Yeah. of yourself and the other person, if that makes Definitely. sense, you know? Yeah. I really like that, that you brought that new term to my mind, sexual ethic, developing a good sexual ethic, because you're right. It doesn't just stop and end with like consent. Like, yes, you can have sex with me now, but it's really like, yeah, how do you react to your own desires, like shame or not? And like, how does that sit with you? I, I think that's very important because a lot of people, I think sometimes subconsciously just like enact and react to the shame that they have internally yeah. and they're not dealing with it. Yeah, there's um, some studies that show that whether or not people consider themselves porn addicts, mm -hmm. using that terminology, has nothing to do with how much porn they consume. It has everything to do with whether or not they are in a um, social environment or a religious tradition oh, um, or for whatever reason, think that consuming porn is a shameful and immoral act. And so they've done studies where they look at like how much is the person actually consuming and how do they d describe that consumption and the people, regardless of how much they're consuming, if they really have a lot of shame around porn consumption, they would, they go into that rhetoric of, Oh my God, I'm addicted. I have no control. And I think the second you give people the idea that they have no control over their sexuality, that leads to sexual violence, wow. right? The notion that you are, you are, you know, at the whims of your sex drive and you have no capacity to like critically think about what you're consuming, critically think about what you're doing. And like, like you, I like that. Yeah. That reactivity as you, as you say, let like that instead of um, kind of responding sexually, just reacting yeah. sexually is I think uh, an interesting difference. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too, that, that you talk about like almost the the addiction side of it. Cause we kind of spoke to this with, um, David lay, um, talked to David lay recently. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah. he had kind of mentioned that it's almost a seeking of getting rid of the responsibility off of your own, you know, shame and what you're carrying. Um, and I think that, cause we hear that argument too, a lot now with what happened with abortion and, and with like any kind of conversation about a rape where, you know, you get that, like, uh, well, what was she wearing? Or like these kinds of comments and people don't realize the danger in that because you're, you're giving this person 
permission almost to not be personally yeah. held responsible for their mm-hmm. actions. And so like, I think that kind of segues that way really well, because you're, you're giving them this kind of like, not an, the opposite of admission of guilt. It's like they're not personally responsible for the things that they yeah. say and do. And, and people don't realize why that's so dangerous. Yeah. And the argument that porn makes people violent has been used that way too. I mean, there's actually like more than one serial killer trial where that has been evoked, right. In the defense of like, Oh, I was, I was propelled by this beyond my, my rational senses. And there's this whole idea that sexuality is just beyond the realm of the rational, that it, that it's, it compels things on a subconscious level. And therefore that's why it's, exactly like that Pavlovian response idea. And therefore the only, the only answer is to suppress it because if you, if you use that argument, right. Okay. If, if just viewing it inevitably causes these like irrational and uncontrollable things to happen, then our only answer is to suppress it rather than teach people like, can you engage critically with the media that you're consuming? Can you like think about what's good and bad to do to people? (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's very simplistic very convenient and and really erases people's um like agency in their own lives there's um this kind of oh oh, go ahead let us oh yeah no i just wanted to ask really quick and just make the statement so there's not one definitive set of viewing times that someone views porn that like turns them into an addict which i think people will always want that out to find out like oh if you view it three times a day or 10 times a day like there's not really a number because it's it's more of like a personal responsibility yeah. thing. Yeah, well I think the addiction model is a complicated one even when we're talking about you know substances and things right. that we more traditionally would put into the addiction yeah. model. Um and you know one argument there was would be that there's actually even like no set amount of drinks per week or of whatever thing you're consuming that makes one an addict or not it's it's about what's the impact it has in your life and how do you feel about that relationship um and i mean i guess there's there's reason to say that for any kind of media consumption people might want to think i'm sure you got into this with with david too but there's there's nothing wrong with people thinking critically about their media consumption or anything that they do in life and seeing if it's like you know suiting what they want to be doing in a day but that's not the same as putting it into this neurological addiction framework and saying this like is beyond your, you know, control. And, and the, the violence framework is the same, you know, it's like, it's great to think critically about the kind of things you want to watch in porn. I, I like aggressive porn, can't stand spitting. I wish I could, cause it's very popular. And so a lot of times I get to dip out, you know, <laughs> halfway through something. I would love a little warning of like, there is spit, spit in this. <laughs> I know it makes me sound like such a prude. I just can't, I just can't like the, in the mouths, uh, the baby birding, I just, I, we all have I just, our, our anyway, lines in lots the sand. Of other things, but we all have our, but like my line in the sand for a lot of people is like, I can't not watch spitting. Like I need to have that spitting and just realizing that like, there is no, there's no spectrum of more to less right. violent that is objective or more to less degrading or whatever that think about what you like to watch and like consider that in, in deciding whose content you want to buy and, and, you know, um, that kind of thing, but making that decision for other people or suggesting that it is on some kind of objective scale 
is really a, a impoverished way of thinking about how sexuality Absolutely. operates. Yeah. The, you know, it's funny when you're talking about media consumption in general, the first thing that comes instantly to my mind is TikTok. I'm like, if I'm addicted to anything, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I had to delete it. I couldn't, I had, I got it and I was like, yeah. this is bad for me. And I had, and that's, like, but that's how I evaluated it. What you said. Cause I was like, this is impacting my life. Like I'm not getting the work done that I'm supposed to be getting done. Like this is not okay. But, um, I wanted to also talk about this idea. Cause it's been like, at least newer to me and like my realm of, of what I experience, but like this idea of incels and like sexually mm. oppressed men who aren't, you know, having yeah. experiences with women that go out and commit violence. And I want to know if you could speak to that a little bit. Cause that to me is like a newer idea. Oh, the incels. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not my, my specialty. I haven't spent a lot of time like digging into incel rhetoric or, or anything. I've really just seen what's kind of, you know, popularized in, in news and stuff, but it does strike me as um, the manifestation of, of a pure entitlement. Um, and, and that it's interesting because when you think about incels have a lot of crossover with precisely the, the, anti-porn yeah, versions right. of masculinity, yeah. right? And I think Nicole Prowse has done some studies that show this, and maybe David was on those too, but um, where the like no fap and the like semen retention and the incels, like there's, there's a lot of crossover in that, in that Venn diagram, the idea that, that, um, you know, women, sex, sexy women are succubuses who are succubi, <laughs> succubus, yeah. succubi. <laughs> who are who are draining you and you need to like um to to be a virile masculine man you need to like not be shirking off i guess <laughs> um and so the idea that enjoying sexual content leads to sexual violence doesn't hold up there right like i mean that's uh, this is i'm making a bit of a a, a, a observation not based on having done any studies in this area. But like, I think it, it would probably show that there's more likelihood of violence when there is that, that degree of sexual shame and repression mixed with the entitlement, right? Um, I think that's the dangerous combination. I love that yeah. you put it that way with the framework of entitlement, because I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah, because they do feel entitled the stuff that i've read online of incels they felt like entitled to women and the fact that women don't pay attention to them is a fault of the porn industry because it's popularized a certain type of woman and a certain type of man and blah 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 that now women want giant dicks and da -da, and like you know nothing but the chads yeah um, that's what they call which <laughs> Which side note, um, one of my favorite projects that I did to um, uh, procrastinate during my PhD was I spent a good amount of time on Tinder just screen capping every guy named Chad <laughs> and making a deck of cards. No way! I need the Chad so, deck of cards now. So we could do a Chad deck um, like tarot amazing. reading yeah. or something, um, like an oracle of Chad. Um, because funny. I was like, okay who who are the actual yeah, chads you know and do they do they look do they look like <laughs> these chiseled uh you know masculine men that apparently are taking all of the good women all um all of them yeah and it's 
it's that whole, you know, all of those foolish ideas about like you want uh, you a, a woman who is like sexually competent, uh, but has never had sex yeah. before. Um, you know, you, she's got to be uh, not a slut, but somehow be like incredibly mm -hmm. hot and skilled mm -hmm. in the bed. Uh, like it, it's just they haven't yeah. thought it through. Yeah. It yeah. no. <laughs> the incels, the incels have not <laughs> really come up with a, a coherent, uh, um, yeah. a coherent worldview. It seems. Yeah. But it causes real violence. Yeah. I mean, there was the, you know, the, the, the van um, attack yeah. in Toronto is the, the most recent one in, in Canada, I believe. Um, yeah. And that that's, there's, there's such a tie in with the rise of fascism and white supremacy Well, the rise, the constant of white supremacy, but in more, you know, profoundly um, gendered, like the, the current attack on gender and sex yeah. diversity, um, including sexual promiscuity that doesn't mm -hmm. benefit yeah. certain people, yeah. you know, like, I think that it's all tied in. And there's a reason that most incels are white guys in their twenties, right? Like feeling just extremely yeah. disaffected um, and, and entitled to things that they're, that they're not getting or believe they're not getting. It's funny that you brought up the Chad thing. Cause my ex who does look like that, his name is Chad. And uh, oh, I hope he listens to Chad. this because for <laughs> the other guys who are sexually repressed, he was not my type and uh, should not be in the dating pool. No. So. I, I have a, a girl, yeah. a home girl named Chad. So this is always funny to me when like the okay. Chad's are the ideals. Cause I'm like, Oh, you haven't met all the Chad's, <laughs> <laughs> but she will still your girl. <laughs> I love that. Nice. Uh, I wanted to ask, is there positive yeah. research that almost the research itself would point to the opposite of porn and violence? Like, I would find that really interesting. I've never seen anything or heard of anything like that. Yeah, there's been um, some what they call like ecological studies where um, you'd look kind of at the statistics for an entire country or something. And some have shown that, okay, as porn laws have loosened and, and porn consumption has gone up, reported sexual assaults have gone down, for example. I mean, again, those are always tricky because we know that most sexual assaults aren't reported. Um, and, and again, there could be other factors at play, but there has been some replication of that kind of general um, scenario where more porn does not lead to more assault on the book. So even if it, we take into consideration the lack of reporting, if it, the rate of lack of reporting is the same consistent over time, that's still meaningful, right? Um, then, yeah, like I said, there's been that uh, study or two showing that porn consumption might uh, be associated with more gender egalitarian viewpoints, which would presumably lead to, to less sexual violence. Um, and Lots of studies showing that uh, porn consumption can be beneficial to people's sense of, you know, sexual uh, um, just wellness in, in general. And especially when you break out of the heterosexual frame, how affirming uh, porn can be for people that maybe fall outside of traditional cishet uh, worlds, right? And just to see sexuality represented that you can relate to, see bodies that might be more familiar to you and that kind of thing. So that there's really positive like sense of self and identification um, consequences to porn consumption in that case. And yeah, so I think there's, there's, there's a book that just came out. Um, Alan McKee is one person that's done a lot of studies in, in this area uh, who, who does great work. And um, 
has looked at, you know, how often consent is not considered when we're um, defining violence and porn. So that's one of the faults with a lot of studies. He pointed that out a long time ago. He's one of a few authors, I can't remember the other authors right now, so sorry, anyone who that was, <laughs> but they just put a book out that I think the title is, what do we know after 50 years of research on the effects of porn? It's very snappy. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> and essentially, you know, um, I read just the, the kind of Twitter thread so far, I haven't gotten a hold of the book, but really saying, unfortunately, the, the research is pretty um, inconclusive in all directions, but it's definitely not conclusively in the line of porn equates to violence, right? There's lots of studies that that counteract that that assumption. That's good. I mean, it's good to hear. I feel like we we because we've all we're in the industry, and, and I mean that's not typically our experience, and we kind of knew those things. But I can't tell you. I mean, like those are the conversations that I get told, and the perceptions that and projections that get put on me is like, oh man, her dad must have left, and I'm like, well, he did, but that's not the same. Like that's a correlation. Yeah, <laughs> unrelated. <laughs> Like, right. So did my best friend. They're doing just fine. Mm. It's not the same. Um, but yeah, this was this was great to to have you come on and talk with us, especially the like anything science related and study. I just find so fascinating because like that there's proof in the pudding, and no one wants to like acknowledge that. Um, so this was really great. Where can everyone find you and your work? Well, I'm on the Twitters at at public pubics, um, <laughs> and uh, also I have a site that captures a bunch of my like research and other activities together. It's just ValerieWeber.com. And uh, yeah, that's, those are my internet homes. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for making the time with us, Valerie. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for keeping us informed. <laughs> this segment of today's episode is sponsored by sex.com one of the absolute best content creator platforms out there. It looks better than any other, has a higher level of security than any other, and boasts over 3 million unique visitors a day scrolling through viral looped adult short form videos. Sex.com is like, well, <laughs> sex itself. A lot of people do it. Some just do it much, much better than the others. Sex.com, if you're gonna do it, do it right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N.